Stand to your feet for, in honor of reading the word. We're going to start in James chapter 2. You could probably cut this just a little bit. It's, I'm getting a little feedback up here. James chapter 2, plus I'm going to yell later. James chapter 2. My brother, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothes comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. By the way, wouldn't that be the craziest thing to say to somebody? Why don't you have a seat right at my feet? Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him, but you have dishonored the poor man? Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and convicted by the law as transgressors. Forever keeps the law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Father, we thank you today, Lord. Your word is timely every, every time we look into it. God, it speaks exactly to what we're walking through. And we thank you for that. You've been faithful to guide our steps and faithful to faithful to love on us and correct us at the same time. And so, Lord, we're going to look into your word intently, not forgetting who we are today, but allowing it to change our hearts. And we thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen. You may be seated. James is continuing his thoughts, talked about how trials produce faith, talked about uh, last week, um, how obedience is by faith, wisdom is faith. And now he's addressing a situation where you're actually living it out. And I told you, he doesn't play around. Just starts, just starts this portion of his letter as stop being partial. So he said, just stop being partial. He is, um, he's witnessing some things that he doesn't like. And he just says, stop it. And so when you, when you look at this and compare it to what we're walking through in our society, uh, this is a pretty timely uh, thing that we're going to talk about today. And, um, it, it has the impact, it has the ability to impact us in a way that I want to make sure you get all the way to the end. So don't check out halfway through. Can you promise me that? Yes. Okay. So can I get as many amens at the end as I can at the beginning? 
Some of you are like, well, I'm going to hold it to the end then. (laughs) The first thing James says, the church can't be partial. Now, we don't use that word really a lot anymore. That's not, that's not the modern, I mean, we, you don't say, hey, you're being partial. Um, what was happening or what he was seeing was that a group of people was being treated differently than another group of people because of what they had. So he, he paints the picture. He uses a hypothetical circumstance to, to show them why they can't be partial. So he's saying, first of all, he says brothers, so we know, he's, we know he's talking about the church. He's not talking about the world. And by the way, if the church can't get it right, don't ever expect the world not to get it right. Does that make sense? If we who are believers can't get it right, then the world will never have a chance outside of the church. So James is addressing this first to the church. He's saying, brothers, listen. So he's addressing the church. That's us. Listen, you can't be partial. You can't be partial. So we don't use that term anymore. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to get into this a little bit. Partiality. I need to explain to you what, it, what he's not talking about. Can we do that first? He's not talking about your taste in music. He's not talking about the decor in your house. Or the way you dress or your hairstyle, your favorite place to eat after church on Sunday. He's not talking about preferences of the way you live your life. He's not talking about, hey, you should drive a Ford, not a Chevy. Might be common sense, but he's not saying that's required. Um, We'll throw Subarus in there as well, right? Yeah. He's not saying, you know, you can't be a Patriots fan. Might be common sense. Here we go. I was waiting on it. He's talking about how we treat people. How we we treat people that maybe not can't do anything about what's going on. He's not talking about, well, I like country music versus rap music. It's not what he's talking about. And what, what happens is we, we start to get all this type of stuff confused. I believe there's a difference. I, I believe there's a difference in cultures, and I'm totally fine with different cultures. When, when I travel, uh, I end up going into different cultures. When I go to Africa, they're not listening to country music. They're not listening to clap. When I go into that, the churches I preach in in Africa, I'm not asking them to change their music. I'm not asking them to play Hillsong or Elevation. I'm not asking them to play what the, what the top 40 most popular Christian worship songs in America are. They're going to play the music they want to play. Now, I don't know how to clap to it. But it's, it's their music. I'm totally fine with that. I'm not telling them. We're not talking about dress different. We're not talking about eating different. We're not talking about any of that. We're just talking about, hey, how do you be a better pastor? And one thing helped me with that. My, my buddy Tom told me early on when I started traveling, I'd say, hey, would this make sense if I talked about this? And he just looked at me and went, Chris, people are people. 
He said, these pastors here deal with the same thing you deal with. They're dealing with people. So whatever you're walking through, talk to them about it. You know what? It works because we're all people. Amen? So James is not talking about preferences in church. Now let me say this. I believe there should be a church that plays music just like ours. Yeah. I also believe there should be a church that plays country music. Some of you are like, eh. I also believe there should be a church that plays rap music. I also believe there should be a church that plays gospel music. I, I believe there should be a church that has pews in it. I believe there should be a church that has carpet. I believe there is a, should be a church where there's no drums on the stage. Because you know what all that is? Preference. That's it. Just culture. The way certain people want to do certain things. I don't have a problem with any of it. Matter of fact, I'm glad the church can be diverse enough to do all of it. Amen? And so if you, if you ever have been at a window into our leadership team here, you, I just said yesterday in a meeting, I want all churches to work. I don't care what music you play. I don't care how you dress when you show up to church. I don't care. As long as the gospel is being preached and people are coming to Christ, I don't care what it looks like. Thank you. Right here. You guys. I'm going to keep going because I got some support. Look, I used to be naive in thinking there was one way to do church. That's like saying there's one way to fix fish. It's an absurd gesture to think that all across the world, church has to look like this. That's absurd. It's absurd to think church has to look like this in Berkeley County. Because culture is different. Amen? Culture is different. So I have no problem with people saying, hey, I like this type of music, so I'm going to go to that church. If you don't like this type of music, my recommendation is go to a church where you do. And we're going to smile and clap and be like, man, I'm glad you're happy. Maybe you don't like somebody that preaches like this. Maybe. Fine. Go to a church where you can like the preaching. I wore a suit jacket last week and I've got a t-shirt on this week. You know why? Because I don't care. Oh, now everyone's like, yeah. Preacher, brother. The preacher doesn't care. Here's my only rule for clothing. Cover it up. Amen? Do us all a favor. Cover it up. However you like to cover it up, I'm fine. That needs to be preached everywhere. James is addressing the church when he says, my brothers, he is confronting an issue. So James is not addressing your taste in music or decor or dress or hairstyle, your favorite place to eat after Sunday. He's addressing how we treat each other. God does not care what your clothes look like. He doesn't care what the music sounds like. He doesn't care about that. He's addressing the church, placing one group of people above another. Period. We get confused with culture when it comes to this. You can worship God just as much to a rap beat as you can to a country beat. 
God doesn't care. So what James is addressing is not that your culture is right because there is no such thing as right or wrong culture when it comes to style. What he's addressing is when we place one, one group of people above another for preference sake. He says you can't be partial. So let me say this. Sin groups people. Watch this. This is going to be shocking, but I'm going to let you know this. I don't care what they do in politics. I don't care. As long as there's sin in the world, people are going to hate each other. It's the Satan came to steal, kill, and destroy. And the best thing that he could do is to keep us separated and hate each other. So we can, we can, look, I'm not telling you not to vote. I'm telling you to do everything in our power to, to stop racism and partiality, all that stuff. But I, what I'm telling you is realistically, when sin is still here, we're going to have issues with it. So that means the church should be the place of inspiration for everyone else. Okay, I'm getting ready to go on a limb here. But I believe there should be less sin in the church. Okay, just checking. checking. This side's kind of like, ooh, <laughs> that's a big ask. Um, okay, watch this. So less sin in the church, meaning, what did James say last week? You look intently into the word of God and it changes you. So you don't walk away. We're going to get back to that again. So you don't walk away and forget who you are, but you applied the word of God to your life. So it changed you. So then you don't struggle with the same things you were struggling with. Amen. Because the grace of God changed you inside. So now I don't struggle with the same sin I used to struggle with. It is possible to live a more sanctified life. And so when the church struggles less with sin, we look different than the community around us. So what James is saying, I know everybody around you has partiality, but you should not be able to find it in the church. So then the church should be the hope of the world when it comes to the issues we're dealing with today. The church should be the hope. The church should be the place that it doesn't matter how much money you make, what skin color you are, where you grew up, where you're from, what kind of job you have. The church should be the place where when you walk in, everybody's the same. We'll get to that in a second. So sin groups people in different way than faith does. Sin separates us by our differences. You're white, you're black, you're poor, you're rich, you're fat, you're skinny, you're a woman, you're a man. You're from the right side of the tracks, from the wrong side of the tracks. And on and on and on. Sin groups us according to the way we're different. Faith groups us according to the way we're the same. Okay, so watch this. When we stand at the foot of the cross, everyone is equal. You know why? Because it doesn't matter how much money you've made. You don't get to the cross and Jesus go, hey man, what's that W-2 look like? It's never happened. Hey, what's your 401k, what's your 401k look like? Hey, how many investments do you have? And never, never, that question is never asked because we're all in the same deficit. We're all at the foot of the cross going, I got nothing. 
I don't care if your bank account's got eight digits in it. You got nothing at the foot of the cross because it says it's not by works lest any man should boast. You don't get the chance to boast about how good you are at the cross. Because when we get there, we're all in the same deficit. We were not able to affect our lives for eternity. That's why he sent Jesus. If we could have done it, we'd already done it. But he sends Jesus because we were sinners and still are sinners. So he sends Jesus. We get to the foot of the cross and God says, what do you got to offer? And I go, man, you know what? I got, I've been making this much money. I got a raise last year. <laughs> How you been doing on that sin thing? Hmm. Guess I'm in the same boat as that guy. Guess I'm in the same boat as that woman. I guess we're all the same down here. I guess when we get in front of Jesus, we're all exactly the same. We're all the same when it comes to Jesus. And there's no color. There's no class system. There's no rich. There's no poor. There's no black. There's no white. Because all of our blood runs the same color and it all needs the blood of Jesus. And we all need the same thing when we get in front of him. Amen? So here's what happens. Sin tells us we should separate people by the way we look, by how much we make, and by where we're from, and by our preferences, and all this thing. Well, you don't like that. You know, blah, blah, blah. I can't. When we get to the cross, God doesn't even look down and see us. The Bible says it looks down and sees Jesus on us. You know what? Discrimination or partiality is the laziest of sins. It's taking the most obvious thing about somebody and separating them. You don't even have to work at it. It's the laziest of sins. I cannot even get up off the couch and separate people. I don't have to know anything about you. All I got to do is look. I can look about the way you wear, what kind of clothes you wear, and I can make judgment after judgment after judgment. I can look at your skin. I can look at your, I can look at your, I don't even have to get up. It's the laziest of sin. But what God tells us to do is not judge on the exterior, but he says, look into people. I can remember, I've told you guys I grew up poor. I can remember when um, feeling that, in school, I, I just watched that Michael Jordan documentary. I grew up when he was super popular. And I remember, I was just reliving my childhood. And I remember, Jordan, I remember in the documentary, Michael Jordan pulling out the first pair of Jordans and showing them. And I got a little angst. You know why? Because I, my family couldn't afford to buy the first pair of Jordans. And I don't know what they were back then. 50 bucks? More than that? 60 I was in the 80s. I didn't even, it was a big deal. Like kids start coming to school with Michael Jordan's on. My parents wouldn't buy me high tops because they didn't think the extra material was necessary. <laughs> Anybody else? Like, what do you need the high tops for? You need to cover up your ankles? And I used to want a pair of high tops. Well, when the Jordans came out, I got a pair of high tops. They were knockoffs. They weren't even a name brand. I don't even know what brand they were. They weren't even a name brand. I wore them like they were Jordans. Just, just who we were. But I remember as a kid walking in and some kids going like, and I think, I don't, what did I do? 
I ain't even old enough to have a job yet. But when I get a job, I'm buying me some Jordans. <laughs> it's the laziest of sin. You're just taking the obvious about people and separating them in groups and determining without any thought whether one person is righteous and another person isn't. Romans chapter three, verse 21, it says, but now the righteousness of God, this is the way faith classifies us. Watch this. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, leave it right there for a second. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for who? The only differentiation in that statement is who believes and who doesn't. That's it. For all who believe, for there is no distinction. What did I tell you? Faith makes us all equal. Faith makes every single one of us. I don't care what your, what your 401k looks like. I don't care what your W2s is. Like. I don't care how much money you make or how little you make. Faith makes us all the same. Without distinction. It doesn't matter where you're from. How you got to where you It doesn't matter. Faith makes us all the same. That's why I wish everybody had the opportunity to travel all over the world because faith is the one thing that unites us. So when I get into a church in the middle of Western Kenya where there's no running water, no, no, no plumbing, nothing, I can stand shoulder to shoulder with people who look as different than me as you can possibly look and sing to the same God and have the same experience of faith and put my arm around them. They put my arm around me and we're brothers. We are united, not because we look alike, not because we think alike, not because we wear the same clothes, not because of any of that, but because at the cross, we are exactly the same person. And there's a bond that unites us that's stronger than the way we look. Amen. So Paul says, listen, there's no distinction. When you get to faith in Jesus, there's no distinction whatsoever. The things that we highlight as differences don't even matter to God. All right, I'm going to give you another example of this in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Now, I need to give you a little backstory. This is way back when David, King David, the second king of Israel, was being anointed as king. The first king of Israel's name was Saul. And the Bible says that he was a head taller than everybody else. He looked like a king. Handsome taller than everybody else. Like, man, we want him as our king. He was an abject failure when it came to being, obeying God. Abject failure. You know what that tells me? You can look really good and have a workout system be full of sin. Yeah, I'm, I'm watching all you people work out all the time. So what happens is this. He, um, Saul's rejected by God. So Samuel, the prophet, goes to this family's house, Jesse, God tells him, go to Jesse's house and we're going to pick it. I'm going to show you who's going to be king. Watch what happens. Verse six, chapter 16, verse six. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, okay, time out. What did I just tell you was the laziest thing you could do? This is the prophet of God. This is the prophet of God doing this. 
He's still stuck in, well, Saul was a tall, handsome guy, so we got to get another tall, handsome. There's no way we can get a short, chubby guy to be, to be the king. So he looks at the first kid, the first son of Jesse, and he says, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely. Now, what was he judging on? He's, he was making, he's making a judgment on appearance alone. Surely. Surely this is the Lord anointed is before us. But here's what happens. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature because I've rejected him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. If I can convince you of one thing, character resides in every single person. It doesn't matter color. It doesn't matter socioeconomic status. Each individual person has their own character. And when we lump it together, we make the laziest mistake. Well, all tall people are smart. No, they're not. There's a lot of dumb tall people. So what happens? Samuel tripped up on the very thing he didn't want to do. The prophet of God walks in and goes, oh, there's a tall, handsome guy. It's going to be him. And God says, I'm not looking at the same things you're looking at. And he's saying the same thing to the church today. I'm not looking at the same things you're looking at. Don't be lazy. Don't be lazy. Judge a person by his character. Judge a person by, by God in them. Look deeper than what's on the outside. Look deeper than the clothes they're wearing. Look deeper than the color of our skin. Look deeper than our status. Look deeper than that. And so James is telling that to the church. Because here's the problem. Partiality calls you to become the very thing that you hate. Did you hear that? Partiality causes you to become the very thing that you hate. Watch this. Chapter 2. We're going to read it again. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothes comes into your assembly and a poor man's shabby clothing comes in, if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him, but you have dishonored the poor man? Are not the rich, listen to this, are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? James uses this hypothetical situation. He doesn't say, I saw you do this last week. He says, hey, if a rich guy comes in, you give him preferential treatment over the poor guy that comes in. Aren't you doing the exact same thing that you hate? You hate it when the rich, now, I, got, I, I, I made a mistake at the beginning of this. I didn't give you enough background information. James is writing to a church that has been persecuted and is poor. Mm, that changes this a little bit, doesn't it? James is not writing to a wealthy church in the suburbs. He's writing to a persecuted church that is in poverty. And he's saying, if you let a rich guy come in and give him preferential treatment because you think you're going to get something and you kick the poor guy to the, to the curb, you're doing the exact same thing that you hate. He's saying, you've been, the, you've been on the other end of it. You've had the same type of people persecute you. And here you are, the church. If we do this, we're just like them. Do you remember James chapter 1? 
if you look at the word of God and yet walk away and forget who you are. So here's the deal. Oh, I hate it when people discriminate against me. I hate it when people say something because I'm poor. I hate it when people say something because of my skin color. And then we forget that we hate that. We forget that that's not scripture. And we walk away. We end up doing the same thing. Now, you are in a very unique circumstance because your, I would venture to say everybody in here is middle class America. America is one of the only places that has a middle class. If you go to the places I go to, there's a poor and wealthy. There ain't a lot of people in the middle. You either have it or you don't have it. In America, we're in this unique environment where there's always somebody above you and always somebody below you. Okay, so watch this. I know I'm going to disappoint some of you right now, but I don't think the next richest person in the world is in here. Unless, unless I'm missing something. Anybody? Like you're close? I mean, you haven't talked to me yet? Okay, just so we can solidify that. I don't know that anybody in here is going to be the next richest person in the world. So what that tells me is there's always going to be somebody above you. Okay, now, by definition of where you live in the United States of America, I already know you'll never be the poorest person in the world. Ever. Can I hear an amen? amen. Some of you are like, well, you don't know. I, you're, you drove here. <laughs> so watch this. The problem with the American church is we always have an opportunity to have it done to us, but for us to do it to someone else. There's always the opportunity in the American church because we got a middle class. And so the things that we hate happening to us end up being the things we perpetuate on other people. And James is saying, you can't do that. These same people that you're coddling to now because they're rich are the people that have drugged you into court. That's crazy. You can't treat people that way. He's saying, don't show partiality because it's the very thing that you hate being done to you. So here's where it gets difficult. If you've been on the receiving end of injustice or discrimination because of your economic status, background, or skin color, the worst thing that could happen is for you to perpetuate that. The church has to rise above it all. James was writing to people who were facing persecution and poverty, yet were showing partiality instead of being full of grace. So... I think the mindset should be this. If, I, if I'm discriminated against for any reason as a believer, then my responsibility is not to perpetuate that, but through grace fight it. Amen? There's no way I'll ever treat anybody like I've been treated. No way. No way. We have to make that distinction. We have to make that determination. James says the church is the hope of the world. There's no way we can show partiality inside the church and then expect the world to act differently. No, he said we have to be the example. We have the grace and mercy that's been poured out on us independent of anything we've ever done. So we didn't do anything to earn it, yet God poured it out on us. So it should be the same way outside of the body. It should be the same way outside the church. Yeah, they look different than me? Absolutely. They get as much grace as I do. Do they have less money than me? Maybe. They should get the same grace as I do. All right. All right. 
I got a really good ending to this. So just hold on. Mercy wins every time. Mercy wins every time. Listen, Jesus gave us an example of receiving mercy, but not giving it in return. He, 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 he talked about this in Matthew chapter 18. It's recorded here. Verse 23. Some of you have heard this before. It's the, this is a crazy story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. By the way, that's probably more money than you could pay back. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had. He said, we're setting up an auction next week. We're selling all of you and everything you got to try to pay back this debt. It's time to pay. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine hearing everything you have is gone because of the debt you owe? You can't pay it back. Falling on your knees, begging for mercy and hearing him say, you're forgiven. Come on. That's every one of our stories. That's every one of our stories. You're before God and he says, you owe me something that you can't afford. He said, hey man, hey, just wait a second. I'll, I'll pay. I'm good. I'm good. I'll work. No, no, no. It doesn't matter how much you work. You can't afford it. It doesn't matter what you do. You can't earn it. It doesn't matter. And so right in the middle of that conversation, you realize, man, I can't, I just need mercy from you. I can't do anything about this. And the master says, you got it. You got it. Now the dangerous part, remember, we're going to look into the, we're going to look into the mirror. Remember, you got to remember when you look in the mirror, remember, got to remember because here's what happens. It's as if James wrote this story, but when the same servant went out, he had just been given mercy, forgiven his debt. He gets up, walks out. He found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Not even close to the same amount. That's an easily payable debt. And seizing him, he began to choke him. Saying, pay what you owe. So this fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. The same thing. Have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. The master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him into the jailers until she, he should pay his debt, which meant forever. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Listen, James is saying, cancer partiality, mercy wins every time. The same mercy that was given to you, you have to, you have to, you have to dish it out over and over the same mercy that you are so gracious to receive. Now it has to come out of you. Okay, but here is the problem. We're going to wrap up with this.
James is reminding the church of how much mercy they have received. The Holy Spirit has given us the ability and example to love people as we love ourselves. If you go back up to the section, this portion of James we read, right at the end, it says this. James starts comparing, look, the law is the law. So if you break one portion of it, you're still a lawbreaker. There's no like, well, it wasn't that bad. So he makes a comment. He says, if you, if you don't commit adultery, but you murder, you're still a lawbreaker. Just because you only did one and not the other doesn't mean you're more innocent and less guilty. You're still guilty. Everybody follow it. Now, Jesus came along and Jesus had a conversation with some people. A different, what, what's the greatest commandments? Anybody remember this? Love the Lord your God. I'm paraphrasing. Love the Lord your God with everything that you have. Everything. Then the second one was, love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with everything you have. The second one, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said all the law and the prophets are summed up in these two things. So guess what? If I love God with all of my heart, I'm probably not going to have an idol. Does that make sense? If I love God with all of my heart, I'm not going to create a graven image. If I love my neighbor as myself, I'm probably not. The adultery thing. If I love my neighbor as myself, I'm probably not going to go murder him. If I love my neighbor as myself, I'm probably not going to be envious of what he has. I'm going to be happy for him. Do you see how this plays out? He says, all the law and the prophets are wrapped up in these things. Love God with everything you have and love your neighbors yourself. The second one is tricky though, because I believe we're in the most self-loathing generation ever to walk the face of the earth. Okay. I told you it's going to get good at the end. Listen, you know why it's easy to hate other people? Because we hate ourselves. If one of the greatest commandments ever included loving yourself, don't you think that would be pretty important? Do you realize there's been no time in history when suicides has been as high as they are right now? It's it's unbelievable. The angst that our society is walking through is unbelievable right now. Why is that? We don't love who we are. Now, can I clarify for you a couple things? Self-love isn't this crap you see on Instagram or, or Facebook or I'm just taking care of myself. I need to spend seven weeks at the beach or I can't function. You know, I'm taking care of myself. I'm taking it's self, it's self-care. We have went so far down. Self-care means I need a different pair of shoes for every day of the week. Self-care means I need the right wardrobe. Self-care means I need, this, I need me time. Show me in the Bible where it says me time. <laughs> Show me in the Bible where the Apostle Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament was like, God, I need some me time, Lord. We have been convinced that self-care means this looks right. Do you realize... You can package this thing up the best you can and hate your own guts. 
You could be the right weight and the right height and the right look and get the perfect right color of skin, all this stuff, and, and you can get everything perfect. You can get your hair did by somebody that's really, really good and still hate your guts when you walk out. Hate your own guts. How in the world do you think you're going to love somebody else? We live in a society, we hate ourselves. We hate ourselves. The vitriol isn't coming, it's coming out of us. Now, I'm not specifically saying you were the church. And here's what I know about the church. That, that God loved me so much that he sent Jesus to die for me. I don't have to put my head down because I'm short. I don't have to put my head down because I've gained 15 pounds over the last couple months. It's the coronavirus doing it. I don't have to, I can put my shoulders back and my head up because I'm a child of God. And guess what? At the end of the day, I don't have to even care what you think about me. Mm. Mm. You know what I started thinking? I told first service, I have a five foot 11 on my driver's license. And I'm believing that in Jesus name. But I went to the doctor's office the other day, come what, about a year ago, I think maybe a year ago. And I got on that thing and it said I was five, nine. <laughs> Who's lying here? My son is three inches taller than me. He's done nothing. <laughs> Not bad. I want to be like six two, dunk a basketball. I used to play basketball nonstop at the Boys and Girls Club in Martinsburg. It was a good day if I grabbed the net. <laughs> you know how bad I wanted to be able to do that stuff? How much better I feel about myself? If I didn't know Jesus, being 5'9 would matter. But the God of the universe said he loved me so much that he sent God, his own son to die for me. And I could put my, I, you know what? I, you know, why does he put so much gel on his hair? Because I haven't had a haircut in two months. And there's nothing else I could do with it. And I don't care. Well, why did he wear a t-shirt this week and a suit jacket last week? Because I don't care. Because at some point in time, Jesus loved me enough. Some point in time, Jesus loved me enough to die for me. And so it doesn't matter what you think about me anymore because I can put my shoulders back and my head up because Jesus died for me. You didn't. And so it doesn't matter what I look like, what I sound like, what I weigh, or how tall I am, or how much money I make. None of that matters because the God of all the universe has already decided what I'm worth. And so I can love myself besides anything you think about me. And it's not going to make me love me any less. If the church could get a hold of that right now, we could love other people like never before. This isn't about self-care. This is about believing that Jesus died for you. Now, do I want us all to lose weight? Sure. Won't have to suck it in so often. Do I want you to be healthy? Yeah. At the end of the day, am I always going to weigh more than a skinny person? Yep. Sure am. And I just happen to like Oreos, and I think Jesus does too. Just saying. 
You know what the best thing for the church to do? Show the whole world that it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about you. It matters what Jesus thinks about you. And that we love ourselves because the God of all the universe loved us first. And we will love everybody. Regardless of income or race or 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 culture or anything, there is no way you can stop me from loving somebody else because I've been loved. And I know what it feels like. And so we will do everything we can do to teach people to love themselves and love other people. Amen. Come on, stand to your feet. Can we pray that way this morning? The church could be a shining example of no partiality. We got to get ourselves right. James is telling the church, get yourself right, man. Love yourself. Christ love you first. Get yourself right with him. And you love everybody. You love everybody walks in the door. Even if they don't walk in the door, you love them. Even if they don't love you, you love them. You can't forget that Jesus went to the cross and everybody standing at the foot of the cross, 90% of them are ridiculing him. And he said, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're... He said, I'll love them even if they don't love me. So in this hyper-partisan political environment where everything is an outrage, just guess what? Love yourself the way Jesus loves you and have confidence to love other people no matter what anyone says. Just love on people. Amen? Father, we just thank you. God, you, you sent Jesus and you loved us so much. I pray that you teach us how to love ourselves. Because you said we need to love other people the way we love ourselves. And I pray we become better at that. You, by definition of going to the cross, said we were worth it. So I speak against every lie the enemy has convinced you to believe today. That you're not worth it. That, that you're not enough. That you're the wrong this or you're the wrong that. That's a lie from Satan. Jesus, by definition of the going of the cross, you said everybody standing here in the sound of my voice was enough. Enough for your love, enough for your sacrifice. They are worth it every second of the day. And Lord, I pray that you convince them of it this morning. And Lord, out of that full life, out of that fullness of life that you give us, I pray that we begin to love other people no matter what, the way you loved us. Thank you for this today, Lord. I pray that the church would be the example for everyone else to watch. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Come on, church. Could you give him praise this morning? He's good. Amen. Hey, listen, love on somebody this week. Let them know, and you better believe that you're worth it and that Jesus loves you. Amen. We'll see you back here.